So we're in a series called This Changes Everything, and we've been going through the book of John, and we'll continue in the book of John. Um, we'll be studying particularly chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. So we've got some work to do today, which is great. So we're going to jump right into it if we can. It says this, before the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them even to the very end. Now, this is an important hour that we're talking about. Some call it the hour of glorification. Some call it the hour of love. But this is the time where Jesus is like, all right, it's happening. This is the beginning of this final stage of my ministry. And um, through these texts, we're going to learn some things. We're going to learn some things about love. We're going to learn some things about maybe hearing the voice of God or not hearing the voice of God. And so let's, let's just talk real quickly about what these texts tell us about love, and you can be looking, looking at those ideas as we go through the text. The first thing we learn, just overwhelmingly and powerfully, and probably the most important part of this sermon, is simply this, that love serves. Love doesn't seek to be served, but finds a way to express itself through service. So the question we're going to ask you today is pretty simple, and I like to front load these things so I can manage your expectations a little bit. The question I'm asking you today is, are you serving and who are you serving? Is it real? Is it outside of yourself? So that's one of the things that love does is it forces us, not force is the wrong word probably, but it, it, it moves us towards service. The second thing that love does is that love uncovers. Love uncovers our biases and our assumptions. We will see that the actions of Jesus in love made it plain who was in and who was harboring other ideas about what they should do, of course, through the narrative of Judas that we know of. And the third thing that we learn about love is that this, that love allows. This means that love does not compel or oppress. If you want to go a certain way, you can go that way, and God's going to allow you to go that way. He can't stop it. He could stop it. He won't stop it because he understands what the greater love really is. And so these are the things that we're going to learn about love from this Last Supper pericope, this Last Supper piece of Scripture that we're going to be studying. So verse 2 says this, it was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And there it is, right? The author gives us this foreshadowing of what's about to happen. And of course, these texts are not new to us. I understand that as Christians, you have read these texts again and again, and you know what they say. But maybe we can look at them just a little bit differently today and maybe learn something new or take a step in a different direction. But the first question I'm going to ask you is this, why, why would anybody betray Jesus? I don't think any of us want to betray Jesus. And I can't imagine people sitting in that room that night were like, I can't wait to get out of this guy's presence. I can't wait to just throw this guy under the bus. And sometimes, sometimes that's been given to us, that's how Judas was. I'm not sure that it necessarily is, but there is one reason that we often betray Jesus, and I think it's because we think we know better. We have a tendency to think that we have a better understanding of what we should do than God has for us. And because of that, what we do is we just forge on ahead, right? We don't listen to the voice of God. We often don't even pray about the decisions that we're going to make because we assume that we already know what it is that we're supposed to do. Now, some people make decisions very quickly. Some are a little slower. Some listen, some tarry, some, you know, abide in the decision. Um, Amazon is a good example of this in my house. So Amazon, I think we could all argue, is a blessing and a curse from God all at the same time, right? You can buy anything you want with one click, right? So those of us who are kind of impulse buyers, we see something and we go, that looks pretty good, click, and it's ours. That's power, friends. That is power. 
power, the power of technology harnessed to get me what I want. Now, here's the problem. Um, I make decisions like that, and Amazon has made it quite easy, but I didn't know for years, and maybe you don't know this, maybe you do, um, Amazon has this thing that says customer reviews. Have you ever seen them? Yeah, I didn't know it, they had that, that people tell you about their experiences with the product. Um, I just want the product, and I think that's what I should have, and so I buy it. My wife, on the other hand, reads all the comments. Some of them have thousands of comments. She's in, because she wants to buy the right thing, not the, not the shiny thing. I want to buy, buy it fast. She wants to buy it right. You see how blessed I am? Because in my house, would be filled with things that just don't work, that you can't return, that come from China or something. My wife buys the right thing. She'll read all the comments. Did you read the, she said, did you read the recommendations? No. She's like, you need to read them. I'm like, there's 1,019. She's like, yeah, just to get a feel for if people like this or not. Well, maybe I don't like them. <laughs> maybe they don't like the things that I like. Maybe they don't know. Anyway, um, we have a t- I, I think I know better. I think I know better even than the reviews sometimes because I've read bad reviews and been like, no, that's not going to happen to me. And then it comes to my house and I'm like, oh. By the way, have any of you ordered something that you thought was two feet tall and it turns out to be two inches tall? (laughs) Because that is a particular kind of disappointment when you think this is going to be great and you're like, what is this? And my wife's looking at me like, you're an idiot. She never says it, but there's a particular look that I should have learned way earlier in my marriage. But um, I think this is the way, and the, the part of the problem is that I think we, 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 don't, we don't know what God's voice sounds like. We're not used to listening to it because we're just moving on ahead. So what does his voice sound like? And, and I'm not saying like, what is, like what's, the, what's the tonality of his voice. What I mean is like, how does it work for you? I think we can ask ourselves a few clarifying questions to see if we're, we're following the leading of God in our life. And I think they're pretty simple and there's three of them. The first question I think you have to ask yourself about any given choice that you're supposed to be making or that you want to make is simply this. Is this greater love? Does this lead towards greater love or does it not? This is the first question when wondering what God is saying to us. Is our choice moving us towards greater love? How is it moving us towards that or how not? And going through that process, I think, is an important thing to see whether or not love is really the motivation of why we're making this decision or not. The second thing I think we should ask ourselves is this. Does this decision allow me to hide something? In other words, can I live in the darkness more rather than more in the light because of this decision? And listen, if you've ever struggled with a secret addiction, you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. And some of you in the room are are living under the shame of this. You know that you make decisions that cordon yourself off from other people so they don't see what you do, right? That is not of God. That is not something that God wants for you. And and that's not to say that, listen, if that's something that you're involved in, in secret sin that you need help for, um, come up and pray with our prayer team. Come talk to a pastor because that is... That is a hard thing to live with. And if you've lived with it and if you're living with it, you know what I'm talking about. So we have to ask ourselves this question, does this allow me to hide something? Because God wants us to live in the light. He says it all over the book of John, walk in the light, I am the light. What in these choices allow us to either live in the light or the darkness? to to be transparent or to hide something. If our choices lead to more deception in our lives, to more isolation, to more hiding, it's probably not what God wants you to do, just pretty generally. Then the third thing is this, does this give me an opportunity to witness through action, speech, or compassion? 
Does this choice that I'm making move me towards a better witness and better withness, as Professor Lynn Sweet says, with other people so that they might know who Jesus is through you, through the choices that you make, through the relationships that you have and the work that God's given you to do? Is this a choice that you can make that will lead to a greater expression of Jesus Christ in the world so that others may know him and come to have him? Because we believe this is the greatest gift anyone can give anyone is the gift of Jesus Christ in their life. So are the choices that you're making allowing you to be more present in that work, in that calling, in that evangelism, if we wanna use the traditional term, is that choice allowing you to do that or is that choice moving you towards something else? I think that's the way we begin to hear. If, if Judas had done that, maybe we would have had a different outcome and we'll talk about Judas a little bit later. Then we move on to verse three. It says, Jesus knew the Father had given him authority over everything. Now, by the way, wouldn't that be awesome? Because if you have multiple children and you know you go somewhere and you look at the oldest child and you go, you're in charge, you know what that does to their heads, right? You know that like all of a sudden they're like, I'm in charge, right? They may be in charge of like this much of the space in the back seat of the car, but now they have authority and you've like deputized them to wreak havoc on their younger brothers and sisters, right? And those of you who are younger brothers and sisters, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you have suffered under the reign of a tyrannical, tyrannical ruler, right? So now Jesus knows the authority that has been given him. And by the way, it's not over the back seat. It's over everything. How does that not go to your head? How do you not like... Everything and that he had come from God and that he would return to God. Now, this, this is important. This is impressive, right? Jesus knew what his job was. He knew what his authority was. And still, he exercised compassion and mercy and justice and salvation on us and for us. He was not unaware of what he was called to do, but it makes the next things that he did even more stunning because now the hour has come, right? Jesus knows everything that he's supposed to do in all power all glory of God, all of that is there. And the first thing he does with that power and authority, he gets up from the table, he takes off his robe, and he wraps a towel around his waist. It's the first thing he does with the authority that's been given him from heaven. The first thing. Stands up, takes off his robe, wraps a towel around his waist. Instead of just basking in the glow of the power and authority that he has, if we're going to use the Pauline image, Jesus emptied, and the, and the Greek word there is kenosis, right? He, he emptied himself of all the power and adopted the form. He literally morphed is the Greek word. He adopted the form here and the posture, the role of a servant, which sounds like Philippians 2.7. Because it was Philippians 2.7. It is exactly what Paul was talking about, emptying himself and serving the people around him. And it's, listen, let's talk about feet for a little bit. Um, they're kind of gross. And walking around in sandals make them, makes them grosser. Um, just reality, right? So in, in their culture, nobody's touching feet. Nobody's interested in that. And in fact, it was, it was a job for the Gentile, for the slave, or for the woman. Sorry. Their culture, not mine. Right? That's what the job was for. Nobody of position would do that. Not at all. And in fact, the way it happened, we, we think of foot washing and we think of it mainly as a ritual, not as like a necessity unless you have, you know, 
teenage boys. Um, but, but what we see is you sit down on a chair and somebody comes up to you and they're, and they're working right there on your feet, right? Which is uncomfortable and it's weird. That's not how it happened back then. They were laying down on, a, on essentially a lounge chair, right? On a chaise lounge. They're, they're sitting with their hand here or somehow supporting themselves and they're eating with their left hand so they can't see their feet. This is something that happened away from you. You did not even acknowledge the person who was cleaning your feet. They were worth that little, and it was such a menial task. By the way, in some translation, it says he got up from the table and laid down his robe. That's the exact terms that are used earlier in the book of John when Jesus says, when it said he laid down his life. Same words. So then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet as he says, drying them with a towel that he had around them. I want you to understand one thing. Nowhere in ancient literature is this duplicated. Nowhere. Nowhere is there a person of such power, such authority, such position that kneels down and, and, and humbles themselves to be a servant. Nowhere in ancient literature. Nowhere. This is what Jesus did and why it's so overwhelming. This is, why, this is why historian after historian tells us, even atheist and Islamic and Jewish historians, all of them will come and say the most important thing that happened to Western civilization in the last 2,000 years is the three years that Jesus was doing ministry on this earth. Everyone knows this is different. This changed everything. I don't know if you understand how startling it is what Jesus did. And if you don't know how startling it is, try it in your own context. And what I mean by this is, you know, we think of, oh, I can serve someone. I can go, I can go get everybody at the office, uh, you know, Starbucks. Great. And that's good. Do it. Oh, you don't seem very ready to do that, but that's okay. That's a good thing. Do it. But this is not what I'm talking about. Jesus didn't just do a nice thing for his disciples. Jesus just did something that was unreasonable to his disciples. So in your context, how could you serve someone unreasonably? Have you ever been given, listen, this is what happens, right? Somebody goes, hey, I'll pay for dinner. And we go, no, 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 no. Okay. Like we do the kind of reach for a wallet, but not really reach for a wallet. Yeah, I've noticed my wife will do it with her purse. She'll go, no, 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 no. You sure? Okay. Right? That's how it works. That's not what I'm talking about. Has anyone done something to you so overwhelming that it made you uncomfortable? That you were like, no. Stop, stop it. Because that's what was going on. You know that, right? We're about to read that. That's what was going on. Jesus starts doing this, and they're all looking at themselves like, what is happening? And everyone's kind of slow on the uptake. They're the disciples. They're not the quickest, you know, group of people. But Peter, who is always, because he's always all in, right? Peter's like, what? Yes, 100%, 1,000%. So, and this is how the text says it. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And I love the way we read that. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Like you've, you're washing other people's. I wonder if you'll come and wash my feet. That's not how he was saying it. The inflection is this. You are not going to wash my feet. Because it was embarrassing. Not just for Jesus. It was embarrassing for Peter because it was too much. Have you ever been served in a way that was too 
much in a way that you could not with a good conscience accept because it is too much? Have you ever served someone so they feel that way in your life? And I don't know what it is. It could be something different for every one of us, right? It could be, it could be giving a ridiculous amount of money where everyone looks at you and goes, that's stupid to do it. And you're like, I know. And you do it anyway. And the organization or the person goes, wait, 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 wait. I, there's no way I can accept this. And you go, you have to accept this. Or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's taking time off your job to go help somebody else who needs that help. So you're actually not making income while you're serving someone. What is, I don't know what it is in your life, but you, if you're going to follow Jesus, you got to think about serving like this in a way that is so much it doesn't feel right. It's not just doing nice things. Listen, when the church shows up and does nice things, that's great. And people go, oh, church. When the church comes, shows up and does unreasonable things, then it is the image of God. But not until then. Then it is another organization helping, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. But you want to follow Jesus, it better hurt. And not just you who does it. The person who receives it because it's so overwhelming. Right? So Peter and Jesus are now involved in a discussion. Right? Lord, are you, you going to wash my feet? Like this picture doesn't make any sense. Jesus is about to reply to him in John 13, verse seven. Because what Jesus says in John 13, verse seven begins to change everything. See, Jesus replies and he says this, you don't understand what I'm doing. He's like, no, you don't get it. Someday you will, but you don't get it right now. And, and you have to understand the confusion in Peter's head. Because Peter knows this is God and he knows he's the king of the kingdom and he knows, he knows he's gonna suffer but he doesn't really understand that and he's trying to, like he's confused. That's why he says, you're not gonna wash my feet. Have you ever been this confused? So it was the early 2000s. I was speaking somewhere, I don't know where. And when you speak a lot, you end up, um, you end up with free time. And when you end up with free time, you usually just, like, you go see a movie, but I, you go to a mall, you can, like, shop, you know, you just, don't, you just walk around. And malls are all the same, right? You get inside a mall, and all of a sudden, it doesn't matter what state you're in, what country you're in, you're just in the mall. So I'm walking around this mall. I think I got a Wetzel's pretzel, you know, because um, they're good. And, and why is it they don't give you a better way to dispense the mustard? Because they give you those little packs and you're like trying to do it, you know, around. So I'm walking, trying to do this, trying to eat my Wetzel pretzel. And, um, and as I'm walking, as I'm just walking, doing this, this woman next to me, she starts singing, but not like singing, not like she's listening to headphones. It's like, no, 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 not like that. Like, ah, like show tune singing. And so I'm like, and listen, that's weird, but Americans are weird sometimes. Like, we do weird things. So I was like, no, okay. That's, that's weird. Person next to me starts, like, harmonizing. Ah, ah. This is about the time when flash mobs were a thing. Right. So, so not just the two of them. Now, all of a sudden, there's, like, 40 people choreographed singing. And I'm sitting here with half a pretzel in my mouth, like, what's, what's happening? Like, and they're singing it, and it's weird because when something is that confusing, you kind of don't know how to process it, right? Like, you, do, you forget how to do normal things like walk and sometimes breathe. I'm like, oh, I felt like a weird, uh, there's got to be a YouTube video of me, just like, <laughs> and they're singing and they're dancing and they're doing choreography, and then in your head, you're like, is this what's happening now? Is this what we're all doing? Maybe I should be doing it. And so you feel like, eh, can't. 
Like, I don't know what they're singing. Like, so confusing, right? This is the kind of confusion that Peter is under. Peter is just, no. And so he, so he pushes back. Jesus is like, you don't understand it. You will. And he's like, no, Peter protested, says scripture, right? This is a, this is a, this is a strong inflection. No, you will never wash my feet right? He's angry. He's pushing back on Jesus. And I, that, listen, Peter had some guts, man. He'd seen what Jesus can do. I mean, he could touch someone and back from life. I wonder if it could go the other way. I mean, you'd be careful, right? You don't know what's hidden behind there. Anyway, Peter's like, no, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus goes, oh yeah, unless I wash your feet, get out of here. I'm not interested in you at all. Whoa. Like, I think, and this is, it's a bad illustration, and I, I used it at 1030, and I shouldn't have, but I'm going to do it again, because I want to see if you people are more culturally relevant. Um, have you ever seen Harry and the Hendersons, anybody? Okay, and it's an old movie, John Lithgow and uh, Sasquatch, like Bigfoot. Um, there's a scene in it when John Lithgow, who I think is like one of the, like, he's a nice actor, where he has to be like, go away, Harry. We don't want you. It's super sad, right? Um, this is what I think of. Jesus is like, listen, if I don't wash you, you can't be here. And all Peter ever wanted to be was with Jesus. That's all he ever wanted. This is so strident. I mean, Peter's strident, right? He's strident because what's happening here dishonors who Jesus is and shames Peter. You don't have a friend wash your feet. You don't have it. Because if a friend washes your feet, he knows way too much about you. Right? We don't like doing foot washing now because we don't like people looking at our feet. Right? We, we have that sort of vanity in the church. You understand that most of the time in regular churches, when they do communion, first of all, don't announce communion. Only half of you people will show up. You do, you're all, <laughs> oh, no, that's true. <laughs> like, it's true, right? But then when you let them out to wash their feet, half of the people, half of those half just disappear, right? And so we've done things like we do the family room where you can wash your kids' feet or, you, you know, the women's room or the men's room or whatever, um, the couple's room. I've even seen that. Um, we don't like it. And we, like, by and large, have decent feet, right? So we don't, we don't, well, Peter was, Peter was shamed, and he was really worried about it. But you see, for Jesus, uh, honor and shame, well, that didn't matter. See, Jesus is showing us that what other people think, what the culture dictates as important, and what we think is proper, just might not be. It just might not be. So by the way, this is one of the reasons why when we say we're a community of belonging, what we mean is we, we don't care what you look like. We just care that you're here, right? Because what, what, what has been taught to us is proper or improper. I mean, I'm sure there's boundaries, but we just want you here. We want you to fall in love with Jesus. We want to give you that gift if we can through the community that loves one another and that belongs. But the gravity of this situation should not be underestimated. He says, I want no part of you. So when Peter hears this, it finally clicks. And listen, I don't know if the meaning of it all clicked, but what clicked is that Jesus is angry, and that's probably not a good place to be. He's been given all authority over everything. Let's not make that dude mad, 
right? So he, his pendulum swings, and this is Peter, right? Peter, Peter's pendulum just swings back and forth. So when he realizes, wait, I've really made him angry, he goes, okay, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. And, and it's actually laughable. His pendulum swings from absolutely not to, okay, wash it all, that, that, that Jesus is like, easy, right? Just relax, dude. He says, listen, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And then he goes to the disciples. You disciples are clean. Oh, not all of you. Now, what's interesting here is that he changes the word from wash to bathe. And this brings out a new understanding. You see, changing the word from wash to bathe changed the conversation completely. Jesus was no longer just talking about an act of becoming clean, but what it means to be birthed in God's forgiveness and God's righteousness. It went from the outside being clean to the inside being clean. It went from the external to the internal. See, for Jesus, what is outside, washing, is nothing compared to what is happening inside which is bathing and how God bathes us in his righteousness. I love the way that he used that term. Perhaps this is why we don't care what you look like. We don't care where you've been. We just want you in the community of Christ when you're here. And then he says, you know, you're, you guys are clean. You're wholly clean, but not the whole of you. And perhaps this is a play on words. Each one was made clean, but the group itself has an issue. And that issue, of course, was, being, was Judas. For Jesus knew who would betray him, it says. And that is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. Now, I think this is interesting because um, Jesus is saying this to Judas, not to stop him, but to let him know that he knows. That he knows and that he's going to let him do what he does because Jesus' love does not compel, does not oppress. It's going to let you do what you do. Jesus' love allows. Some people have said, and there's a, there's a theory out there, that in order for God's plan to be fulfilled, Judas had to betray Jesus. And because he had to betray Jesus, this was a setup. God set up Judas and he could do no other, but I don't believe that to be true. I believe that Judas had every single opportunity that every other disciple had to follow Jesus, to be faithful to him. I think the problem was that Jesus, or Judas felt like he knew better and that's why he betrayed Jesus. But I do not believe that God pushes us when we fall. I do not believe that. So I do believe this, that God is really good about making lemonades, lemonade out of lemon. How does that phrase go? You know what I mean? God is really good about making lemonade out of lemons. And Judas was a little bit of a lemon. So God adjusted because that's what God can do. But I don't believe that God set up Judas from birth to betray Jesus. I think it was Judas's choice because he thought he knew better. Then, after washing his feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing now? He's always a teacher. I grew up in the home of a teacher. It's a mess. They're always trying to teach you stuff, right? So, like, we go see a movie, my dad and I, and we get out, and he'd be like, so, what were the theological points you learned from that movie? We just went and saw Dumb and Dumber. That, no theological points, I don't think, and he would wax eloquent as we drive home on the theological points. Teachers teach. That's what they do. Um, so he goes, listen, do you understand what I was doing? Does this make sense to you? 
And then he goes, and since I, your Lord and teacher, oh no, no, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And then he says, and since I, your Lord and teacher, he just did something there. He said, you call me teacher and Lord. But since I, your Lord and teacher, he flips them. And he goes, oh, by the way, the Lord part, more important. I'll still teach, but this is more important. He says, you know, and since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you, you should watch each other's feet. He's given us a template for service. And he actually says it. He's like, I've given you an example to follow. <laughs> Do as I have done. Keep it simple, stupid. You want to know if you're following God? Just do this. You want to know if you're doing the will of God? Do this. Serve. Sacrifice. Because living like this is costly. And this model, by the way, is not merely one of self-giving service to others, epitomized in the foot washing. The model is, in fact, you know, one that represents Jesus is the Lamb of God going to the cross for us. Therefore, the servant follower of Jesus should be one that is willing to go to the cross. And he says this, I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. This example is important. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Now, now this is interesting. If you serve, you'll be blessed. There's not a lot of one-to-ones in Scripture. And I don't know that God was making that necessarily through Jesus. But you know if you've served and if you've served in a way that is deeply self-sacrificing, you never walk away regretting that you served. I've never met someone who lays themselves out for a brother or a sister, who serves sacrificially. I've never met that person going, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. There seems to be a deep connection between service and blessing. And if you don't know, you haven't served. There's this deep connection. So listen, maybe sometimes asking if you are following Jesus is too hard. And if that's true, then simply ask if you are serving anyone. Because if you are serving someone, then you are following someone. It's that simple. It's that simple. And I don't know why we've made it so hard. We've made faith about something more or different. We've made, we've made faith in following about doctrine. Doctrine's important. That's not it. We've made faith in following about obedience to cultural norms that we've created over the years. And those are great. They make us who we are. But they're not it. If you are going to follow Jesus, you have to be ready and you have to be willing to go where Jesus went. And where Jesus went was on his knees with a bowl and a basin and a towel and he redefined what it meant to serve because he went so much further than had been gone before by any kind of leader on the whole face of the earth that it changed everything for us. We sit here today because of it. So this week, we're going to ask you to serve. The way we're going to say it is, who can you serve today and this week? And the way we want you to serve this week is really simple. We want you to bring somebody to church next week. We make a commitment to you. When you bring someone here, they will not, you will not be embarrassed by how they are treated. 
by the experience that they have, by the way that they are greeted, and the way that they are loved through first impressions into this building with their kids over on that side. We make a promise that they will have the best experience of church that they've ever had, but you got to bring them. And it may be self-sacrificing. You, you, may, you may look foolish when you ask them to come to church. You know what? It's okay. You didn't put on a towel and bend the knee. It may be hard for you because it's uncomfortable. It may be the person that you desperately don't want to have coming to church with you. That's the one you're supposed to ask. And then we're going to make an ask while they're here. We're going to ask people if they want to follow Jesus for the first time or recommit their lives to Jesus. And in between each service, our baptismal tank will be outside. We have a different one. We'll, um, we'll be outside and we will baptize them outside in between the services. We're gonna set up a whole area there. That's why we need help. Um, and we're gonna baptize them in between services, which I think is just gonna be so cool doing it outside. And listen, next week may come and we may make a call and maybe no one will come. And that's okay, because that's of God. And maybe one person will come, praise God. And maybe a hundred people will come, that's wild thinking. Um, it doesn't matter. We're doing our part. We'll allow God to be faithful in his way. And we're super excited about anything that happens next week because we know it's of God and we're preparing our hearts and preparing everything that we can for that. Because Easter is one of those moments where people are thinking about what they haven't thought about in a while. We, we think about it every day, but those who haven't, like it's a good moment. So that's why we're leveraging what it's become for the kingdom. And so that's what we're going to ask today. We want you to serve. We want you to serve in a way that's tangible by giving people the very greatest gift they could ever receive. The gift that is so great that they will actually stand back and go, I don't know if I want this much love in my life. It seems like it's too much because it is. It's the love of Jesus, a love that never ends, a wellspring of overwhelming and relentless love for us. So it's a simple question. Who can you serve today? Who can you serve this week? How can you follow in the footsteps of Jesus by giving them the greatest gift that they've ever received, the gift of the grace of Jesus Christ, him crucified, him resurrected? That's our prayer today. That's our prayer this week. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, um, may hearts be rattled. May, may minds be uncomfortable. May, may palms be sweaty as we make the invitation. Make us uncomfortable, Lord. That way we know we're following you. Thank you. In your name I pray. Amen.